Welcome to a new episode of Creative Mind. I'm your host, Bobby Brill. In this episode, we get into the world of stop-motion animation, one of the earliest forms of animation that has had a big resurgence lately with TV shows like Robot Chicken and The Chef Show and the upcoming Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Stop-motion is a viable and very sought-after skill set. And we talked to Jillian Hunt, who is a fabricator and model slash puppet maker in the world of stop motion. She's making those little teeny tiny hamburgers and those little teeny parts that are used in these big stop motion productions. And she's gonna walk us through how that world works, some things to think about if you're interested in stop motion and a little bit of kit, a little bit of skills and life as a freelancer. So take some notes and enjoy this episode of Creative Mind. But before you do, please head over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast and check out all the information about our upcoming and past shows. And of course, please do hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Now, here we are with Jillian Hunt. What attracted you to the world of stop motion as opposed to say digital animation or traditional drawing animation? What was the appeal of stop motion animation? Well, to be totally honest, I first, I just love animation. As a kid, I loved watching Nickelodeon. I loved watching Disney. And so I think that the whole field of animation really drew me in. And then I took a stop motion fabrication class at the Academy of Art and that really taught me kind of the difference between stop motion and 2D and 3D and I just totally fell in love with the medium. You get to build things, you get to make things, you get to get your hands dirty. I love that. I love that it's all, it feels handmade. It can feel handmade, it can feel a little bit more digital depending on how you do it. I just love the medium and I took the one class and just really got sucked into it and I've just been riding that wave ever since. Before you took that class, were you actually doing, you know, fabrication on your own, like sculpture or any of that hands-on artistic studies or was it completely, hey, I'm going to just jump into the world of stop motion? A little bit of both. I have always, I've always enjoyed sculpting. When I was a kid, my aunt taught me how to whittle. <laughs> okay. I also, I, I know how to sew. Right. I like, I always enjoyed as a kid, like making things out of other materials. Like I would take uh, the toilet paper rolls <laughs> and I would turn them into little purses and I would like try to sell them to my mom. <laughs> I've always loved making objects. And so I think that once I found stop motion, I, it was a place for me to kind of combine all those skills. I like ceramics. I like painting. I like making real things a little bit more than I like doing digital work. I think stop motion is so fun and I think that it's one of the things that's so neat about it is that it can be something that you make in your kitchen with whatever materials you have lying around or it can be, you know, a feature film where millions of dollars are put into it. I just think that it it feels it feels beautiful no matter which way you go. I just think that's so cool. So do you are, do you consider yourself a stop motion artist or do you consider yourself a fabricator? What's the the label or labels you you put on your your profession? I guess I would say stop motion artist. Um I've had a few different titles or credits within the stop motion industry. 
Right now I'm scenic painting, which means I'm painting props and sets. Okay. I've also been a set dresser, which means that you're taking all of the sets and props and various assets and you're putting them on stage in front of the camera. You're dressing to camera. You're kind of that, that last person that puts everything together into a final composition. I've also been a fabricator for sets and props, and I've also been a fabricator for puppets. How you can say puppets with a straight face, just I, I, I don't know, because that's like, I make puppets. And you're like, yeah. I want to make puppets for a living. How do you get a job making puppets for a living? That just sounds awesome. It really is. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we all have these moments when we're in the studio and we're working on something that is just so fun. And um, we think, gosh, I get to do this for, like, I'm getting paid right now. This is pretty cool. Um, you know, especially when you think about the fact that when you decide you want to be an artist, people generally give you kind of negative feedback about that. Like, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the starving artist stereotype mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. of that. And so I think... Um, That's great, but how are you going to make a living? Totally, totally. And so when you are actually making a living and you're having a great time and you're doing what you want to do, like, it just feels so good. To back up when you were at the Academy, you took the one class. Did you go all the way through any particular bent or any particular focus in the Academy? Or was it just a few classes here and there? My master's degree is in visual development for animation. And I was planning on focusing on 2D. And then I actually went to a workshop, or I think it was like a panel discussion at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. Okay. And they had a bunch of Imagineers there from Disney. And they were talking about how if you want to get into Walt Disney Imagineering that you should take a fabrication class. So you can learn how to tell a story through like real models, right? Like as if you're going on a Disney ride. And so I looked at all of the classes that were available at the Academy of Art and I chose the set design and fabrication class because I kind of felt like that worked for what I was thinking about. And that class ended up just steering me towards stop motion, uh, which is not exactly what I had planned. But, you know, like I said earlier, like I just I really f fell in love with it and I really just rolled through it from there. I took the one class and then that led to my first uh, credit on a commercial. I worked on a Cheetos commercial with my professor from that class. And then from there, it just led to like more internships and, and more work. And here I am now. Is there a lot of that work going on now? Was it difficult for you to find internships and then later paid work? No. You know, when you're in that process of trying to get into the industry, it does feel like intangible. You're like, how am I ever going to get there? But, you know, if, if you look beyond just a couple major studios, there are so many small studios. There are so many commercials happening that are in stop motion. There's so many TV shows that have stop motion elements in them, such as the chef show. There's a lot of work out there. And I think if you're willing to just kind of do the research and find the studios and, and apply and email them, there's a, there's a lot of work out there for everybody. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just going to list from your website just some of the the, the credits you've, work, you've been working on. And we've got the super secret Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, we've got The Chef Show on uh, Netflix, Crossing Swords on Hulu, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, Star Wars, Fortnite, a ton of Robot Chicken. I mean, this is a lot of mainstream, big budget creations going on that is not just 
that you would think would be, oh, well, we'll just do it, you know, 3D CGI. It'll look so much better. But no, it's not. Yeah, I, you know, I feel so fortunate that I've been able to work on these projects that I have. And also some of those things are like the Star Wars credit. That's, um, I was a scenic painter at Star Wars Land in Disneyland. So not stop motion, but stop motion led me to that work because I do scenic painting on sets. Now I can, I can do large scale stuff as well. So yeah, my career kind of expands in a couple different directions. So when you're applying for a job, I mean, do you just walk in with a, with a pocket full of little teeny tiny hamburgers and, and, and guys and go, here's my very cool little things. I, I wish it was like that. Um, no, it's, you know, it, it kind of depends on the gig. Um, a lot of these jobs, it's kind of about who you know and like if you've worked with somebody before. Um, it's really about networking. So once you know a couple people in the industry and if they enjoyed working with you, then they'll want to have you on their next team, their next project. Well, that makes sense because stop motion, I'm guessing, is not a... Uh... A, a short three-hour gig. No, it's not. I mean, it, it can be a shorter gig if you're working on a commercial. You might, you know, have a job for a couple weeks. But yeah, generally, if you find people that you really enjoy working with, you'll kind of move from production to production with them. How many people are on a stop-motion team then? Oh, it really depends on, uh, you know, it depends on so many different things. There can be one scenic painter, or there could be eight scenic painters. Uh, it just depends on the scale of the project. It depends on the budget. It depends on um, like where you are in the production schedule. There will be points where you don't need as many people because you're not. Most of the work is done, so they'll start rolling people off sooner. So yeah, it's you know, and also stop motion can be like one person making stop motion in their garage which is also really cool. So, so yes, it, it really depends on the scale of the production. Let's kind of go through a day in the life of a stop motion production, some of the ones that you've been on. So I, like a lot of people, loved The Chef Show, and the opening to The Chef Show is just so amazing. The animation with the, the food truck coming in, and you worked on building a lot of those pieces. How did you go about creating these... Min, this miniature world of a, of a food truck and all of its accoutrement. How did that happen? So I am always in the art department, so I'm going to focus mainly on like how that department functions. But I had, so for Chef Show, uh, one of my friends was the art director, production designer for that. So she started to mock up designs for what the truck could look like, you know, based off of the information that we already had from the chef movie, right? And like what these higher up people wanted. Um, and she started to design like how the recipes could look and all of these different things. And then she passes that on to myself and the rest of the builders. And we start to, you know, think about like, how can we sculpt tiny food? And we start to come up with some ideas. We start to just kind of like dive in a little bit and think about scale, think about, you know, you make something and then you put it in front of camera and you like, does this work? Does this work with this lens? Like there's so many different aspects of, you know, there's so many different ways of like considering these things because it all has to come onto stage together. So yeah, we're building sets, we're building props, you know, that comes down to like woodworking, sculpting, the different materials we want to use and all of that 
slowly comes together until we have enough stuff and we can get approval from our art director, we can get approval from the people who are creating the show, from our producers, from all of these different people. So, uh, there must be some kind of special tools you're using. Are you just using like little like guitar tools or dental tools? Or... Yes, um, you know, some of the best uh, sculptors that I know that sculpt in small scale all have dental tools. And a lot of like ceramic sculpting tools, we have all types of things. We have, um, you know, if you're familiar with woodworking, it's like you have a bandsaw and a belt sander and a table saw. All of those things come in small scale as well. So you can get like a little tiny table saw or you can get a little <laughs> tiny uh, belt sander that you hold in your hand and you can sand small things. So yes, we have like a wide range of small tools that we use that help us and also like regular scale tools as well. And then when, you know, coming back to your question about kind of a day in the life, it's, it's um, you know, making all of these things, getting approval on them, getting them onto stages and making sure that they're ready for animators to manipulate and move and handle over and over and over and over and over again. And um, just making sure that, you know, if we are sculpting a tiny hamburger, that that hamburger is going to be able to hold up after days and days of being on stage under hot lights, you know, with the animator's fingers and tools all over it. All of this stuff has to be really strong. Are you kept like on standby to do touch-ups and like kind of last looks and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the job of the set dresser. You know, they'll make sure that that hamburger is clean. There's no fingerprints or glue or um, anything, you know, that you don't want on the hamburger on screen. And then, yeah, you'll come in and fix things, paint things, do little touch-ups here and there. And I'm assuming you're making a lot of these models. It's not just the one piece. You're making multiple versions of this just in case, or...? It, it kind of depends. We have something called hero props, so... You know, the hero hamburger would be the one that you put the most effort into and it's going to be up close on camera. And then you might have a bunch of other hamburgers in the background, which aren't quite as important. And, you know, that's when something like molding and casting can come into play because you can make one hamburger and then you can cast up a hundred more if you need to. So we have our main actor, so to speak, and then we have our extras in background yeah, there. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, it's a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Any kind of special materials that you found, any kind of secret sauce that uh, people should start playing with if they want to get into this, or is it just uh, cardboard and a glue gun? I mean, yes, absolutely. You can make stop motion with cardboard and a glue gun. If you are looking to get into stop motion, I would say that there are a few things that you need to know how to do. You don't need to be an expert, but you should have some sculpting skills. And then, you know, there's plasticine, which is a, a type of clay that we use a lot on stages. Learn how to sculpt, learn how to do woodworking, learn how to paint a little bit, learn how to use Dragon Frame, which is the main stop motion animation software that you'll see at studios. For these types of projects, like the Chef Show, what's the, the direction you're given? Is it a lot? Is it a little to, to making these pieces for for the animation again that's something that kind of comes down to the scale of your production like how many different people need to be involved in the creation of of um one prop i think a good example is maybe like a, a light so a light in a stop motion set could be like a lamp a lamp that would be on a puppet's desk in their bedroom we are given a storyboard that shows that lamp 
And sometimes there's a designer who will like design exactly what that lamp needs to look like. And so you'll use whatever materials you think are best. And then you also need to talk to the lighting and camera department because they're going to be putting a practical light inside of that lamp. And so you need to be able to have conversations with these different departments, also like the director, your art director, all of these different people are thinking about how the puppet's going to interact with that lamp. They're thinking, how can our animator best get in there and turn that lamp on? The camera and lighting department is thinking about how that best fits into that room. And so you're, you're really, you're communicating with these different people and you want it to look like the designer designed it. And so, yeah, you are having conversations with a lot of different people and making sure that, you know, this little lamp is going to be practical and it's going to look good. So it's not just the aesthetics. There is a functionality in yes. a, a real-life world yeah. use of it. We call them practical lights, but that just means like, yeah, it's a light that you'll actually be able to turn on. There's a real little light bulb in there. It's connected to power, so it'll function like any other light would. It just seems so amazing that you're making little teeny things that do the exact same thing when it's like, why are we not using big things? Because it's just not fun. Definitely not <laughs> as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I want to talk a little, you keep saying the word puppet. Yes. There's puppets and then there's the actual character. What 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 is the difference in your mind or in, in the industry terms uh, between a puppet or a model or a character? What, what What's that terminology mean? I mean, a, a model would be something I would consider more along the lines of like a maquette. Like maybe that's it's a, a preliminary sculpt of what a puppet might end up looking like. Um, when you're just trying to kind of nail down the design. A stop-motion puppet, I mean, there's like a million different types of puppets. So if we want to mm -hmm. talk about marionettes, rod puppets, stop-motion puppets. Stop-motion puppets are generally like a wireframe puppet or they'll have a metal armature that's more fancy, can do, you know, you can, you can really like create an armature that has a lot of different features in it that like you can make the ears wiggle because there's that kind of mechanism inside. Okay, that's, that's the real posable yeah it's like this, the skeleton guys. essentially of your puppet okay. the character i i feel like that really comes down to your animator your animator is going to give life to the puppet and i think the puppet and the character are, are one and the same like you're you're creating this the star of the show and the animator is really like thinking about you know would this would this character, you know, skip or would they drag their feet or like, how can I make this character walk in a way that really shows their personality and is really going to tell the story that we're trying to tell? So then what are your favorite types of characters then? We'll, I'll, I'll go with characters. What is your, what's your favorite type of character to create? What are the things you really like um, making? I'd say, you know, broad strokes. I like working in a style that isn't super realistic. You know, like SpongeBob. SpongeBob was a, a puppet that I got to help make um, for the uh, Halloween stop motion special that we did. And um, gosh, he's just so much fun. And because his personality is really, you know, so cartoony and you know, he's not a serious character, so that puppet gets to do so many different things. Like, we got to build, um, or we were able to build, like, a, you know, when he squishes, like, there's, like, general, like, 2D animation kind of aspects happening here, like, with squash and stretch, and um, you get to do a lot of fun gags where, like, his eyes pop out of his head and come back in, and you get to do all of that with 
puppetry the same as you would with 2D animation. And so I think that's the stuff that's really fun. I like I like cartoons. I like really leaning into the stop motion aspect and I I like it when things get really fun and and kooky and it's just like how can you not have fun working on something like that? You know, when you look at stuff like SpongeBob which is totally an adult cartoon. I don't, you know, why why are we wasting our time with children on this? It's definitely for us. But you look at SpongeBob and you're like, yeah, that just it just seems like the most fun you can have playing with toys. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it still has its days where it is a job and you have deadlines and you need to meet those deadlines and things need to function properly. But ultimately, like, on that show, I just was able to over and over listen to, like, SpongeBob's laughter coming from different stages. And everybody is having fun because it, it was a fun project to be on. It was made at a fun studio. Yeah, we're having a good time. When you're creating these characters and when you're where you're set dressing and you're painting and you're doing this for established IP like Star Wars and SpongeBob, what are the things that you keep in mind and and how do you work with this great monolith IP that you are now in charge of creating? You know, no matter who the studio is or who your your big boss is it's it's always important to make sure that the work you're creating reflects the style of the production that you're on and i think that that's actually one of the most it's it's a really fun aspect of what we're doing because if i'm working on you know something for robot chicken that has a completely different style than something for spongebob of course so really being able to i guess like be a chameleon and like you know slide into that style it's it's really important and luckily we always have you know art directors that we trust production designers that are in charge of like you know really keeping everybody on target so we have somebody to go to somebody to lean on if we're thinking like oh maybe maybe this doesn't quite feel like spongebob as much as it should and so then i have people i have a whole team of people that i can rely on to help me make sure that things are on point so you've got a, a large group to collaborate with. It's not just you stuck in a dark room making things all the time. No, no. Generally, I'm working on, on a team and we are all there for each other and we're all kind of talking like, oh, does this, you know, if we're painting something, it's like, does this fit with that other item that we made six months ago for this film? Um, we're all just like constantly collaborating and communicating and trying to make everything work together. I keep talking to you a lot about stop motion because that that's something that I'm guessing is that that's where you want to stay. Just just working in stop motion, that's that's the career path. Oh my, I have so many different things that I'd like to do, but I I love stop motion and I'm definitely not planning on leaving anytime soon. How does somebody decide, well, I like scene I like set dressing. I li I like scene painting. I like stop motion. What are the skills that really have developed for you? I know you talked a little bit about stop motion and sculpting, but when you were studying, whether in school or outside, what are some of those skills that are important for somebody to develop and really start focusing on? Skills, I think there's like, there's kind of a wide range. I think the first I would say is learning to accept critique gracefully. <laughs> it is a hard oh, one. It is a hard one for artists. They know we we put our hearts into our work, and then when someone tells us that that work isn't fitting, it can be rough, but I, I think that ultimately critique makes us better. It makes our, our 
productions better. It makes everything better. It's going to make your portfolio better. Like I think of it as such an asset. I love being able to take something to my art director and say, hey, what do you think about this? Like, be brutally honest. Because if, if they're willing to be brutally honest and tell me what I need to fix, then I've learned uh, more about them, more about the style of our show. I'm making my work better. It's going to look better on stage. Like all of these things are so important. And so I think that we need to remember that it's not personal. We're putting our work out there and we're getting feedback so that it can be improved. I have never thought of it that way. That's actually a great way to look at critique is that you're getting somebody to better articulate what they do and do not like Yeah. by looking at the work you've done and going, well, I, I don't, you know, oftentimes we can say, why do you like this? Eh, I, I just like it. Well, why do you not like this? Well, I can tell you why I don't like it. Yeah. So that actually, that makes a lot of sense, even though you're on the receiving end of the, I don't like it. Yeah. But it does make sense that you're going to get more information from someone that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, our art directors generally don't come to us and say, I don't like that. They'll say, hey, I think we need to adjust the value on that. Or I think that the scale isn't quite working. So they're going to give you really constructive feedback and you're going to be able to have a conversation about it. And that's, you know, just going to improve everything. And so I think that that's definitely one of the main skills that we need as artists who are going into such a collaborative industry. We have to be able to communicate about our art and we have to be able to take critique. Because because once you sit down and you start working on something, you've been given that assignment. I want to do more of the chef show just because I, I just find that one so so fascinating. Yeah, I love the chef show. <laughs> With the little food, I mean, how, how does that go? I mean, when do you just kind of, when are you able to walk away from the piece and go, it's done? Well, one, you have a deadline. So I think that's really helpful, right? Like you probably, anybody could work on something forever if they're really inspired by it. But luckily we have deadlines. We have things that need to get on stage at a certain time. So you have a time frame you have to work in. Again, you have your style that you have to match. You're going to be talking to the animation director about what they need from that piece. Like for Chef Show and back to that hamburger example, like... Is it one sculpted hamburger or does the hamburger need to come apart into multiple pieces? Like, do we need two buns, the patty, the lettuce, the tomato to all be separate? Is it going to start as one piece and then come apart? Because that means you might need to make each piece and then also provide, you know, a little bit of sticky wax or something to keep those items together. Um, and then they come apart. Like, you are constantly thinking about what you need it to look like and you're trying to, like, Again, meet your deadlines and then also just think about functionality and make sure that it isn't just going to fall apart in the animator's hands. I have to imagine it, it must be crushing when you hand over your teeny tiny hamburger and somebody with meat hook hands like me just goes, uh, oh, uh, um, sorry, uh, you got five more, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's why we're using materials that are strong and why there's a little bit of like R&D at the beginning to try to figure out like what kinds of materials we're going to be using so that no, nobody's going to be able to just crush it in their hands. If, if you can crush something in your hands, it's not going to stand up to the animation process. So you got to start over anyway. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Because it, it, it must be it must be fun to go shopping with you. I mean, are you just going through toy stores and dollar stores going, ooh, ah, yeah, ooh, yeah? Well, a lot of it is 
gosh, there's so many different things. So there's something that uh, is referred to as kit bashing. So that's when you're going to see, you know, maybe some old Barbie cars and some different toy parts and, you know, an old lamp and whatever. And you're going to take all of those different things and you're going to put them together and create maybe a car for, you know, that has nothing to do with Barbie. And you're going to make that work. So... Yes, you could go shopping in a toy store and find some of the parts for things that you need, but also you're going to be shopping at a lot of like foam stores or specialty craft places, fabric stores. Um, you know, you're searching for different types of glue. You're, you're shopping for all types of things. And then also, you know, it's a pretty well-known fact that stop-motion people, we like to collect things. So if you if you know someone in stop motion, they're going to have like a whole section of their house that's like, oh, this is this cool little thing that I found three years ago that I'm sure is going to come in handy one of these days for a project. So I'm guessing you've got a very well organized collection of buttons and bobs and tiddly doings and yeah, totally. that are just sitting there like, uh, don't touch those. those are yeah. I mean, luckily I've moved a couple times recently, so I don't have too big a collection right now. But yeah, I, you know, if I find a good piece of foam, I'm like, oh, it's, it's such a good piece of foam. I could totally use this for something later. What has been one of the more difficult things for you in this industry? What, what's been one of the tougher things you've had to deal with, whether it be fabrication or the hours or just some of those things that somebody needs to know that they really got to, you know, be cognizant of if they're going to be successful? I found it difficult to transition from having a regular job to being a contractor or, you know, being an independent contractor. You, sometimes you have a gig for a week. Sometimes you have a job for three months. And so there is some in-between between time between jobs. Especially in LA, there's not as many features. It's more shows and commercials. So you really have to get comfortable with constantly updating your website, your resume, you're always kind of looking for the next job, you always have to have your cell phone on so that if mm, somebody contacts right. you, you are available. One of my favorite sad stories is I got a phone call from somebody <laughs> working at Henson and oh no. and I I didn't see the call until a couple hours later, and by that time they had already hired somebody else. It's good to prepare yourself for the fact that like, you should always have a, a good chunk of money in your savings account because you don't know when um, you're gonna go through a slow period. And um, you know, there's also things like taxes that you have to worry about, like how are you gonna do your taxes compared to how you used to do them if you're an independent contractor. You know, and, th and these are kind of the not so glamorous things about the industry that are really important to, to know about and to do some research and, and get comfortable with. Right. Cause I think that's one thing everybody forgets, you know, if you're a student or if you're deciding to jump into the, being a working artist that you're freelance, which means it's a world of 1099. Yes. Yes. No unemployment. And oh my gosh, I'm making half of what I really quoted. And how do I figure this out? And I also will say that I, after doing this for a while, I am kind of used to, you know, maybe having a week or two between projects. And that's really nice to, you know, maybe the last job you were on, you were working 12 hour days. And so you want a little bit of a break before you go back into your next gig. And that can be really fun. It's, it's a little, 
if you can like wrap your mind around it and like feel confident that you're going to have another job soon, it can be a nice break. Cool. I got two questions for you. One, I always ask working professionals because it's the one thing that we all need to hear and it helps working artists today, no matter what part they are in their career. But how do you not get fired from a gig? Show up to work on time. That's a good one. <laughs> and if you make a mistake, be humble about it and apologize and then keep moving forward. That, that's a tough one. It is. You're asking people to collaborate, take critique, and then be humble? I am. This is not why I got into art. <laughs> I know. It's hard, but gosh, when you're working with so many different people and everybody's rushing to get stuff onto stages on time, there are going to be mistakes that happen. You know, no, no matter what part of the process that you're in, like, we all make mistakes. We're all human. I myself have made mistakes. <laughs> and so I think it is best practice to admit to that mistake, apologize, and then start making a plan as to how you're going to fix it. So tell me, what's the dream project? I know there's many, but give me a, give me, give me a dream project. What's the one you want to put out there that, that people will go, yeah, I want to do that too with you. Here's some money. Well, I, you know, I think, so the project that I'm on was definitely my dream project and now I'm doing it. So I'm really happy about that. That's the Guillermo del Tormo, the Pinocchio piece. Yeah. Um, and then I think my next goal is I really want to, I really want to work for Henson. I, I also like, I love I love puppetry. I love hand puppets, live action puppets. Another thing that has found a rebirth after all these years yeah. of, of seeing nothing but CGI and, and, and 3D animation. And, and we all love Pixar there. I've got a two and a half year old, so I've watched more Pixar in the last two years. And I have my entire life. I'm going, this is really good stuff. But it's like, hey, hey, you want to watch The Muppet Show, buddy? Please? Watch The Muppet Show with me? Yeah. Yeah, I love The Muppet. I just, how can you not? They have so much personality. They're so fun. So yes, I would, I would be so thrilled to work at Henson one of these days. And then, yeah, I have like a million other goals. I really, um, I've been kind of doing some designs and working on a script for a TV show that I'd like to pitch one day. And perfecting. Those little teeny hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. Because those little hamburgers are amazing. <laughs> I, I, I can't get over just even even the little piece of tinfoil. You're like, that looks like a hamburger. How did she do that? <laughs> even the lasagna. The lasagna is amazing. The, yes. Oh my gosh. I know. Little foods. It is. They're just so charming. They're great. So there you have it. Some bite-sized information on teeny tiny props for the world of stop motion from Jillian Hunt. And remember to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind to get more insights into the world of art and design. Because as more and more art and design career opportunities arise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. And at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more information about our more than 40 areas of study in art and design, including game development, visual development, photography, UX, UI design, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. Thanks again for listening.